So if you got your Bible, open to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Kicking off this new series called Sticks and Stones. What I want to do in this series um, is we are going to look at the life of one of my favorite people in Scripture. In fact, probably after Jesus, this is my favorite person. And I've worked him into a lot of messages. Uh, I've never done a series on him since I've been pastor here. Uh, and so we're going to do a series for the first time on David. And we're not even really going to look at his whole life because if we looked at his whole life, it'd be the whole year, but we're only taking a month. So we're really going to look at, at the events uh, of David and Goliath and kind of what led up to David and Goliath. We're not going to look at a large part of his life over the next few weeks, but we are going to look at some. And what I, we're going to going to do, we're going to discover some principles that are going to help us to win the battles that we face. I don't know about you, but sometimes there's some battles in my life that I feel like I'm facing the same thing over and over and over, um, and I'm ready to, to win those. I'm ready to put some of those battles behind me uh, and be ready and prepared for some new battles. Uh, and so I think as we look into the life of David, we're going to discover uh, some keys that are going to unlock for us the ability to win those battles this year. For Samuel chapter 16, we're going to begin uh, with the very first time that we discover David in Scripture. In fact, we're going to go even just a few verses before David's first appearance and give some context for his first appearance. First Samuel 16, verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So Samuel was the prophet of God. He was the judge of Israel uh, up until the point where Israel demanded a king. And so God said, Samuel, they want a king, we'll give them a king. And so God had him go anoint Saul to be the king. And so that word anoint, if you've grown up in church or you've been around church, you've probably heard that word, but you may not really know a lot about what it means. You may not have really had that unpacked. So I want to unpack it for you a little bit today. Uh, I have here our anointing oil at City Church. This is just a little jar with some oil in it. It's not nearly as cool as Samuel. Samuel had a horn like off a ram, like somebody killed a ram with their bare hands and took the horn off his head and they put oil in that. And that's awesome. Very manly. Uh, this is not as manly. It's a little jar. Uh, but it accomplishes the same thing. There's, there's anointing oil in here. And, and so what is the oil significant of? Why would they take oil and, and put it on someone's head? Well, the oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And so when someone was anointed in the Old Testament, where they were anointed to be king or anointed for a specific purpose, specific responsibility, it was symbolic of the Holy Spirit coming on them and empowering them for the assignment that God was giving them. And so God calls Samuel to take his horn of oil and go to this man named Jesse's house. And he says, one of his sons is going to be the new king. And I need you to anoint him. I need you to be the one to symbolically declare that the Holy Spirit is resting on him and has chosen him for this purpose. Verse two, but Samuel said, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. Saul, if you're familiar with him, was a very violent man, very vengeful man, very insecure man. And so Samuel very legitimately was afraid for his life. You're going to tell me to go commit treason, to go pick a new king while Saul is still alive? Why would you do this to me, God? The Lord replies and says, take a heifer with you. How many of you know sometimes you just need a good heifer? Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. I saw somebody just tap his wife on the shoulder. I'm not going to call any names. Um, number three, invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. 
you are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. So, uh, as we've already said, this word anoint is very churchy, right? It's very churchy. It's a word that you probably don't use it in your daily life. You're probably not, not like, come on, I'm going to anoint you to make dinner, right? Like, uh, you're not, I'm going to anoint you to go to school this year. Like, we don't take those steps in our daily life. This is one of those words that you probably only ever hear it or use it at church. Uh, and sometimes those churchy words, those churchies, those Christianese words, we may throw them around and feel like we know what they mean, but we may never really understand what we're talking about. So what I want to do today is help bring some clarity to this idea of anointing. What, what is the purpose of it? What is going on with it? And how does it work in our lives? Because there's two things going on here in, in this scripture and, and in any scripture. There's a historical account of an event that actually happened. There's a recording for, for the nation of Israel and ultimately for Christians to look back on of the time when David was selected as king. In fact, uh, for, for centuries, secular scholars believed that David did not exist. They had found no historical evidence of him, no archaeological evidence. They thought that David was a, a mythological king of Israel, that he was just kind of a hero that they created to inspire their people, kind of like King Arthur in England, right? Like, well, the, the Brits would get fired up when they tell stories of King Arthur. Well, that's what they thought David was in Israel, that he was just a mythological figure. But what they discovered about 15 years ago, uh, they found a stone, uh, archaeologists dug up a stone in Israel, uh, and it actually referenced King David, and it's just I don't even know how they prove that this is legit and whatever, but they proved it. This is an actual historical document, and so now they have evidence that David actually existed, that, that he actually made decrees, that he was actually a king of Israel. Now, as Christians, we already knew that because we trust that God's word is true. We trust that when God's word said that this happened, that it happened. But now science has actually come in and confirmed for us the word of God is true. So there's a historical account here, layer one. But I believe there's also something here, uh, principles here, a model here that God wants to use for us as Christians. Because here's what I need you to know today. Yes, David was anointed as king, but if you're a Christian today, you are anointed as well. In fact, say this with me. Say, I am anointed. Look at the person next to you. Say, I am anointed. See, you might have just said that, and you might have felt like a lie. You might have just said it because the pastor told you to say it. Uh, and you're like, yeah, rolling your eyes, I'm anointed. By the end of service, it's not going to be a lie. Now, my goal is by the end of the service, I'm going to prove to you that you are anointed, that you're going to trust God, that God has anointed you with his Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean, Pastor Troy? You keep throwing that word around, okay, I'm anointed. What does it mean? Well, what it means to be anointed essentially is two things. Number one, it means that God has chosen you to give his favor. God's chosen you to give his favor. In other words, God has picked you. I don't know if you were a kid uh, and you played sports and, man, you were ever the first person picked. But, man, that's a good feeling. It didn't happen to me often. It happened to me once or twice. First service, I told him about that you've been picked last. Had that experience, too. But this is a much better illustration. I got picked first a couple times, and it was awesome. Uh, if you were ever picked first, man, you felt pretty good. You stuck your chest out, right? You were favored. Well, God has favored you. He has chosen you to wear the mark of his Holy Spirit. You have his favor. And sometimes we mistake favor because we think favor means God's going to do everything for me. God's favor doesn't mean he's going to do everything for you. God's favor means he's going to open doors for you and position you to accomplish the assignment that he has for you. But you're going to have to walk it out. So that's the second part of anointing. Anointing, number one, means favor. But secondly, it means responsibility. 
See, an anointing carries a responsibility. David was anointed as king. That's a cool thing. Yes, I get to be the king. I get to be the ruler. But it's also a tremendous responsibility. Anytime God places you in authority, anytime God puts anything under you, you're going to have to answer to God for the way that you wielded that authority, for the way that you raised your kids, for the way that you treated your employees, for the way that you treated that ministry. And so, yes, there's favor and empowerment because God's never going to give you an assignment that he doesn't empower you to accomplish, but there is an assignment that comes with it. So here's what I want you to write down. What we're going to do today, we're going to make four declarations, four, uh, four things that we state in the first person. And the reason these are not sermon points, these are declarations. Why? Because I want you to preach this sermon to yourself. You may sometimes believe what I say, maybe not. You may sometimes believe what God says about you, maybe not. But most of the time we believe what we say about ourselves. So I've written this and put this together in such a way that you're going to declare these things over yourself through t- 2016. That as you see the truth in this, there's going to be four statements that you can write down, you can put on a sticky note, you can put on your dashboard, on your mirror, put it somewhere where you can have it handy and you can speak this over your life because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we're going to show you these things in scripture and then you're going to begin to declare them over yourself. So the number one thing to write down is I am anointed to accomplish my assignment. I am anointed to accomplish my assignment. Will you say that with me? Say, I am anointed to accomplish my assignment. All right, now this time let's say it like we actually believe it. I am anointed to accomplish my assignment. If you get a hold of that this year, that's going to totally revolutionize your life. That you are anointed to accomplish your assignment. In other words, God has favored you. God has chosen you and given you an assignment. He's given you a responsibility, but he hasn't given you a responsibility that you can't handle. He hasn't given you a responsibility that's greater than you. He's given you a task that is great, but he's given you power that is greater. You are anointed to accomplish your assignment. And so am I. Now, that doesn't mean that you get to preach next Sunday, right? That, that, that doesn't mean that, that you're going to get a job promotion this week. Like, it doesn't mean all of a sudden everything is going to change, but it does mean that you are anointed to accomplish an assignment. God has something for you in 2016. And I'm crazy enough to believe that God has something for you greater in 2016 than what you walked in in 2015. Maybe 2015 was an awesome year. Maybe it was an awful year. Maybe you aced it, and man, every assignment that God gave you, you were ready for it, and you were walking in his Holy Spirit and full of his spirit, and man, it it was the best year of your life. There's some people in this room, last year was the best year of your life. There's some people that it wasn't. There's some people that, that if you were being real honest, you would say, man, my assignment, I fell flat. I fell short. I didn't live up to God's best for me in 2015. But that's what I love about the new year because we get to reset. We get to restart. We get a new opportunity to accomplish something that God has for us. He has a new assignment. Verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord said. Now, if you just write that down, if you just walk that out, that'll accomplish everything you need to in 2016. I can just stop the message right there, right? 1 Samuel 16, 4, Samuel did what the Lord said. So much easier said than done, isn't it? When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? 
Why would they ask, do you come in peace? Because when the prophet of God showed up, he wasn't always coming to give high fives and fist bumps. Sometimes when the prophet of God showed up, he was coming to bring judgment. Sometimes when the prophet of God showed up, he was coming to say, hey, there's sin in the camp. There's rebellion here, and we need to get it fixed. So when the elders of the town saw that Samuel was there, they didn't celebrate. Hey, sweet, the prophets come to us. They're like, who did it? What'd you do? Why is he here? What's wrong? So they, 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 I think they probably had a guilty conscience, what it sounds like to me. Something was going on that didn't need to be going on. But Samuel says, don't worry. I come in peace. Verse 5, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves. Consecrate means set apart. Make yourselves holy. Make yourselves ready to enter God's presence and to worship him. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Verse 6, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Now, we don't know what it was about Eliab that, that Samuel was so impressed with. We don't know if it was his height, if it was his bone structure. We don't know if it was, was his strength. Maybe he was very muscular. Maybe he just had a charisma about him that made him easy to follow. But there was something about his presence, something about his appearance that Samuel said, whoa, that's the new king. That's the one that God has chosen. In other words, Samuel said, I can follow this guy. I can get behind this dude. I can see him as the new king. But verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. And this very, very important statement teaches us about the heart of God, teaches us how God works and how God moves. And it's so key for us to understand going into this new year. It says, the Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Man, I want God to use you in 2016. It's not going to be getting all the outward things right. It's not going to be making sure that somebody notices you in your ministry so you get promoted, so you get a greater opportunity. It's not going to be doing all the stuff and making sure that you make every social media post about how much you love Jesus. It's going to be about your heart. Where's your heart at? God doesn't look. At the outward appearance, God looks at our heart. Verse 8, then Jesse called Abinadab, the next son, and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. Now, I don't know what this looked like. I don't know what it meant to pass before Samuel. I imagine it like they were like models on a runway. They were like working their strut, kind of flexing their muscles, kind of like, you know, making eyes at Samuel, like, you know, I got you. I don't know what it looked like, but somehow seven of them walked by, and seven times God says no. Seven times God rejects the son of Jesse. We're in verse 10. It says, Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? I love that question. Is that it? Man, that's a whole different culture. You got seven sons that have passed by, and you say, that's all you got? Uh, man, we got seven sons, and now people are like, you got what? You got seven sons? You got seven kids? What's wrong with you? Totally different culture. But he says, is that all that you have? Is that the best that you got? Then God has not chosen any of these. Verse 12 says, there is still the youngest, Jesse says, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. No pressure. No pressure, right? He is the one. He's the one that you've got to bring in. He's the one that, that we are looking for. He is the one. That's a lot of pressure. 
You just had your seven brothers, your seven older brothers, your seven brothers that pick on you, your seven brothers that, that hold you down and tickle you, your seven brothers that, you know, that give you swirlies. Like, he's the youngest of eight boys. He got picked on. He got bullied, right? He had all seven of them got rejected, and now you've been picked. What do you think is going to happen to David when he gets home and Samuel's gone? His brothers are going to take out some pain on David. He says, you are the one. Second affirmation, second declaration I want you to write down is just because I'm not visible doesn't mean I'm not valuable. Just because I'm not visible doesn't mean I'm not valuable. You see, David was invisible. How invisible was David? David was so invisible that he didn't even get invited to the sacrifice when Jesse specifically told Samuel to bring your sons. Samuel brought every other son, but he left David out tending the fields. Well, surely it's not important. He's not that, he's kind of young. He's probably not going to be, he's not going to get into it. Man, sometimes, isn't this kind of how we look at kids in children's ministry? Oh, well, that's just, that's just child care. Let's just get them out of the way so that the big people can have church. No. Now, what happens in Kids City is every bit as important as what happens in here. It's every bit as valuable. I got a 15-month-old son. He's not in there today, but he's in there most days. And somebody's in there wiping his nasty butt, cleaning his snotty nose, and praying God's best over him. And that's valuable to me, that I know that somebody's speaking life over my son. That somebody's affirming God's calling on his life. That somebody's believing that that young man's going to grow up to be a warrior. Man, what happens in Kids City is important. We don't put the kids away to be invisible, man. We're raising up a generation to follow him. But David was left out to tend the sheep. He was so invisible, nobody saw him. Nobody even raised it. None of the other brothers said, hey, dad, what about David, right? It's like home alone. Kevin got left and nobody knew it. David got left and nobody realized it, right? That's how insignificant he was. That's how invisible he was. But his visibility did not indicate his value was not an indication of his value. Even though he might have been invisible to man, he was incredibly valuable to God. And this works the same way in so many situations. It works in your home. Man, you may feel invisible in your family. You may feel invisible to your parents or invisible to your spouse or invisible to your siblings. Or you may feel invisible at your job. You may feel like your boss just never notices. But just because you are invisible does not mean you are not valuable. You may even feel invisible in ministry. You may feel like the thing that you do isn't that big of a deal. Yesterday, Bobby Costin spent about three hours up here tearing down Christmas trees, tearing down Christmas ornaments, getting this place cleaned up so that we wouldn't look like it's still December on the first Sunday in January. Guess what? How many people knew he was here? Me and his wife and maybe his daughter. I don't even know if Elena knew. But he was up here. It wasn't very visible. But what he did was massively valuable. It's massively significant. Trip's in the sound booth. Nobody looks back at Trip. Now everybody looking back at Trip. Make Trip uncomfortable. He just hid. Uh, so everybody's looking at Samantha. Uh, man, nobody looks in the sound booth usually and is like, man, I wonder who's running sound today. But if Trip falls asleep back there and my mic cuts off, all of a sudden everybody notices what he's doing. I might be the one who's visible, but the one who's invisible has incredible value. There's so many things. We could go down through the list of all the different things. People who count the offering. Very invisible, probably not the most fun. I don't think anybody's ever back there like walking, man, high five, we're in the anointing, we counted offering good today, right? Like I don't think everybody's ever celebrating over that, but man, somebody's got to do it. It's got to be done, and all those invisible things add up to allowing us to begin to reach a community for Jesus. 
to begin to make a difference. Just because you're invisible doesn't mean you're not valuable. And we all know this. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, right? He said the invisible parts we treat with special honor. My house, if you come over to our house, you'll see our couch, you'll see our TV, you'll probably see, you might see our dog, you might see our cat, you're going to see some things, you'll see our kitchen table. You know what you won't see? You won't see our checkbook. Why? Because we put our checkbook somewhere hidden, so nobody messes with it. We don't give everybody access to the checkbook. Does that mean that the checkbook is less valuable? No. Why is the checkbook hidden? Because it's more valuable. Not because we got a lot of money in our account, don't get me wrong, because you could jack our account up if you got your hands on it, right? So we put the things that are more valuable sometimes in hidden places. It's not that they're forgotten, it's that they're hidden. David might have been forgotten by dad, but he wasn't forgotten by dad. He was hidden. He was not forgotten. And so the invisible things many times have the greatest value. Now, this also applies to your life in 2016. Applies to the disciplines that God may want to birth in you, may want to develop in you, may want to take a new step in. The things that nobody sees. You see, nobody's going to see the time you spend on your knees in prayer. Nobody's going to see if you decide, you know what, this is the year that I'm going to spend more time in God's word. This is the year I'm going to build the habit. And instead of messing around with it, instead of playing with it, instead of spending two or three weeks where I read God's word, this is the year where I'm going to get in God's word consistently. You begin to build that habit. Nobody's going to see it unless you're the Christian girl on Instagram and you got to post every picture of the Bible while you're reading it, right? But if that's not the case, nobody's going to know. But guess what? It's that invisible thing that you do that's going to give the greatest value to your life. Nobody's going to see if you take a step forward in your giving this year. Nobody's going to know the difference that you made as you trusted God more. But God's going to be able to bring greater blessing in your life as you make greater room for him to do it, as you step out in faith, as you're more generous to the people in your community, as you step out more. And even though nobody sees it, it has the greatest value. Nobody's going to see when you develop the habit of worshiping one-on-one. You don't just wait till Sunday morning or Wednesday night to come in and lift your hands. But you begin to go before God and give him praise and lift up his name by yourself. Nobody's going to see that. It may be invisible, but the things that are invisible many times have the greatest value. The greatest difference God's going to make in your life in 2016 will probably come from something you decide to do that nobody sees. Pastor Gregor Shell puts it this way. He said, it's the things that no one sees that produce the results that everyone wants. You want more success in your life in 2016? It's the stuff that nobody sees that's going to give you the results that everybody wants. Visibility does not indicate value. Just because I'm invisible does not mean I'm not valuable. Verse 13, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. David's anointed king, not because Jesse thought it was a good idea. Jesse didn't even think about David. Not because Eliab thought it was a good idea. His brother was probably not very happy about this at all. But God anointed David. Quit investing all of your energy in life into trying to get somebody to notice you. Trying to get affirmation from somebody around you. Quit thinking that everybody else's approval is what matters. David didn't have his dad's approval. He didn't have his brother's approval, but he had God's approval. And that's what made the difference in his life. When God picks you, he gives you all of his anointing. All at once. Continuing on in verse 13. says, he took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. 
And we're going to skip the next few verses, not because they're not important, but because we're going to hit them next week. And we'll have time to, to really dig into them. But I want to skip down to verse 19 because I want to show you the, the contrast between 13 and 19. This is the last time we see David, verse 13 until verse 19. He's going to pop back up. And so we see David anointed in verse 13 to be king, chosen to be king, chosen to rule over the whole nation. And guess what happens to him? Guess what is going on the next time that we see him? Verse 19, then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David, who is with the sheep. Verse 13, David selected king. Verse 19, he's not sitting on a throne He's not getting fitted for a crown. He's not on a parade in front of all of his new subjects. Verse 19, he's right back where he was before he started. Right back doing the same thing that he was doing before he got anointed. This can be very confusing. Because, man, after you're anointed, you're filled by the presence of God. You're encouraged by God. You, and then you go out there, and, and nothing seems to change. This happens to us a lot in church, right? Sunday morning you come, and Matt preaches a great message about how God has brought you this far, and God's going to be with you further. And you take home a rock, and you pray over that thing, and you believe in God. Yes, thank you. You celebrate. You're feeling good. You're full of the Holy Spirit. You're encouraging Matt. You're like, man, thank you for that message. And then you go back to work Monday. And by Tuesday, you forgot all about it. And by Wednesday, you don't even know where the rock is, right? And I don't know if that happened to you. I'm just saying this is how it works. We get so excited about what God is speaking when he speaks to us, and then life happens. And before we know it, we're right back where we were. We haven't cracked our Bible. We haven't spent any time in his presence. We haven't talked to him. Because we think that when we come into his presence and we receive a fresh anointing, our circumstances are going to change. Something's going to be different because I'm different. But most of the time, the stuff out there isn't any different at all. Am I right? It's quiet in this place. You've experienced this, haven't you? You know what I'm talking about? So that we see David. One moment, he's being anointed as king. Oil is on his forehead. You are the new king. What an awesome moment. What a divine moment. What a God moment. What a moment he would never forget. This made David's top 10 list for BC 900, right? Like it was on the list. It was probably number one. I'm the new king. What's he doing? Back out there with the sheep. How easy would it have been to get discouraged? But here's what I want you to see. Here's affirmation number three. I don't need a better assignment to experience a greater anointing. I don't need a better assignment to experience a greater anointing. You see, chances are you're not going to walk out of here today into 2016, and tomorrow you're going to get a call, and you just got a promotion. Chances are you're not going to walk out of here uh, as we've started 2016, and tomorrow you're going to find out you got a new job or you got a raise. Chances are you're not going to walk out of here and break up with your girlfriend, and tomorrow you got a better girlfriend, right? Like your situation isn't going to change just because you got a new anointing. And most of the time, God isn't giving you a new anointing for a new assignment. Most of the time, God's giving you a fresh anointing to go back out and finish the assignment he already gave you. And we get confused. And so David's anointed as king, but his job, his daily task, is the same as it had ever been before. When I became pastor here in 2012, I'd been the youth pastor here since 2005, so like seven years before I became pastor. And there was a family who had a couple students in the youth ministry who were 
very valuable to us and very plugged in. And, and the family, they, they voted for us. We, was, we were voted unanimously, or unanimously, unanimously, anonymously too, but unanimously. And we were fired up. We thought everybody's behind us. Everybody's on board, man. We're going to move forward. We're going to grow this thing from day one. And then like six families leave the church immediately after they voted for us. We're like, what happened? And so I sat down with one of these families and, and the, the mom, she said, you know, I just can't, I just don't want to go to a big youth group. Oh, I was crushed. My ego was, it was so bruised. I was like, man, I can't believe that, that you would think I'm good enough to speak into your kid's life, but not into yours. And it hurt, and it took me a little while to get over it, just being real honest with you. I've got feelings, too. Just because you're a pastor doesn't mean that you suddenly don't care about the things that people think or the things that people say. But what's crazy about that is here we are, what, three years later, four years later almost, and if I'm going to be real honest with you, yeah, my job description, like my title has changed. My business card looks different than it did when I was a youth pastor, but I'm doing the same things. Like it's the same Bible. Sin is the same issue. Um, I, I'm giving you different examples, right? Instead of telling you uh, that you need to tell somebody at school about Jesus, I'm telling you to tell somebody at work about Jesus. Instead of telling you to break up with your idiot boyfriend, I'm telling you to love your idiot husband. Like, it's not that different, right? Like, it's the same stuff. It's just applied slightly differently. Uh, and so what I believe is I'm standing on the same stage, holding the same microphone that I've been holding for years, preaching at the same place, just a little bit different time slot. The assignment is basically the same. But man, I believe in God for a better anointing. I believe in God for a greater anointing. I believe in I hope that I've grown. I hope that you guys have seen me grow. And I believe in 2016 I am. That you're going to see me grow. That, man, this is going to be a year where you see some growth in your pastor's life. Where I win some of those battles that maybe I haven't been winning. Where I accomplish some of these things that, and our church accomplishes some things that we've been believing God for, for a long time. God, give us a greater anointing. But many times we think that greater anointing is code word for God, give me a new job. God, give me a new ministry. God, give me a new family. Give me a fresh start, Jesus. And a lot of times we're not getting a new family. We're not getting a new job. We're getting the same family and the same job, just a greater anointing, a greater empowering to work it out. See, God told David, I want you to rule as king the same way you tend sheep. So you're going to become king 40 years from now. I'm going to teach you some things out with some sheep. I'm going to teach you some things out in the field. You're going to get your hands dirty. You're going to smell like sheep for a while. But what happened if we fast forward in the story into the very next chapter, chapter 17, David goes off and he faces Goliath. And I'm stealing from a couple weeks down the line here. But in 1737, David makes this famous statement. He's getting ready to go out and face this giant. And he says, the same God who delivered me, who rescued me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear would deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. What was he saying? He's saying this things that God has done in me out in the sheep field. I didn't know that's why I was out there. I didn't know that he was training me to slay a giant. I thought I was just keeping some sheep alive, but I had a chance to kill a lion. And then there was a bear who was a little bigger, and I learned how to kill him. And I'm going to go kill this giant who may seem so big to everybody else, but if I can kill the lion, I can kill the bear, I can kill the giant. And so in your current situation, in your current assignment, I dare say God wants to teach you something now that's going to prepare you for the next assignment he has for you. But so often we spend all our time looking to escape from the assignment rather than to be anointed for the assignment that we have that we miss out on the training for the next assignment. So in 2016, quit trying to escape. 
We're trying to get away from what God has for you. And instead, embrace it with all that you've got. God, use me where I'm at. Use me on my campus. Use me at my workplace. Use me in my family. God, increase my anointing. And as you walk into things that he has for you in this season, then he's going to prepare you for your next assignment, whenever that may be. What I'm trying to say is the fields make you fit for the fight. The field that you're in today is going to make you fit for the fight that he has for you tomorrow. I got to show you verse 13 again. So Samuel took the horn of oil. He anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. God didn't anoint him at 10 to 13 years old. We don't know exactly how old he was, somewhere between 10 and 13. And then promote him 40 years later and come anoint him again. God anointed him as a kid. And that same anointing carried him forward for 40 years before he sat on the throne of Israel. That one anointing, that's how powerful the anointing of God is. When God's presence comes on you, he's going to be with you. He's going to empower you. And that same power <coughs> pushed him through his days as a shepherd, shepherd, through his days as a warrior, through his days as a worshiper, through everything that God had for him, that anointing worked. It wasn't just to be the king, but that anointing was for him even as a kid. Here's what I believe in 2016. We need a fresh anointing, City Church. I need a fresh anointing. You need a fresh anointing. How long has it been since you had a fresh touch from the Holy Spirit? How long has it been since you came into God's presence and you really sought him to empower you for a new season? How long has it been since you really asked God, God, I need your best? How long has it been since you really came to him and said, God, I need you to empower me? I don't know if you guys have seen this, but iPhone has this feature called the, the airdrop. And the airdrop, I think they stole it from another company, but whatever. So basically it works like if, if I got an iPhone and you got an iPhone and we both turn on airdrop, I can give you stuff out of my phone into your phone just by getting the phones close together, right? They've got to be in proximity, but the stuff that's in my phone can go into your phone. You know what? I think God kind of works the same way. I think that if you'll just get close to him, the same stuff that's in him will get into you in 2016. And if the stuff that's in God gets into you, there's no limit to what you can accomplish. There's no limit to what God can do in you. There's no limit to what God can do through you. We just got to get close to him. We got to begin to ask him for big things. You know what he says? He says you have not because you ask not. If you don't have an anointing for the assignment that you have right now, it's probably just because you haven't asked. It's not because you got the wrong assignment. So in 2016, as we start the year, we're going to believe God for some anointing. We're going to believe him for a fresh touch. We're going to believe his spirit to fill us afresh and anew to accomplish everything he has for us this year. Because there's lost people who need Jesus. Because you've got a family who needs your presence, who needs your leadership. Because you've got a workplace that needs somebody to step up and actually be Jesus. And the only way we're ever going to do that is with the anointing. From the point when David received his anointing, it was at least four years before he ever laid eyes on, on Goliath. Four years from the point he was anointed king to the point that we see him again going out to face the giants. And we don't know what happened in those four years other than he was just tending sheep. Because you know where he was when dad said, hey, you need to go to the battlefield? Tending sheep. Day after day after day. God, I think you forgot about me. God, you told me I was going to be king and that was really cool. But I'm tired of this sheep stuff. Tired of stinking. Tired of being out here and nobody notices. I'm tired of being invisible. But David was faithful in the assignment that he had. He walked out the anointing that God had given him. And he was ready when the new assignment came. 
I know a New Year's sermon is supposed to talk about all the new stuff that's going to come into your life. But what if this year God doesn't just want to give you new stuff? What if God just wants you to give you new empowering for the stuff you already got? For the stuff that you haven't won? For the battles you haven't put behind you? What if God just wants to empower you to push through those? Instead of taking you out of the battle, what if God wants you to walk away from that battle victorious? And it's just going to take a new and a fresh anointing of God to do it. I'm anointed to accomplish my assignment just because I'm not visible doesn't mean I'm not valuable. I don't need a new assignment to experience a greater anointing. That's number three, if I didn't give that to you yet. I don't need a new assignment to experience a greater anointing. Go ahead and put that one up. If I didn't say that yet, I apologize. I gave you the point. I just didn't give you the point. Uh, that's, the, that's the affirmation. I don't need a new assignment to experience a greater anointing. You don't need a new assignment this year to ask God for more of his presence. Keep doing what you do. That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 4.13, he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, Christ is not just Jesus' last name. It's actually not his last name at all. Uh, it, Christ actually means something. Anybody know what it means? What's it mean? Bobby says the anointed one. Christ means the anointed one. So when Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, obviously he is talking about Jesus, and Jesus is the one who gives us strength. But here's what I also believe. Jesus was the anointed one, but he said, I can't send the Holy Spirit to you unless I get out of the way. So I'm going to heaven, and I'm going to sit at the right hand of my Father, and then I'm sending my Holy Spirit to you. What's that mean? I'm sending you my anointing. You know how Jesus accomplished all the miracles he did? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't do one miracle until he went and got baptized, and the Holy Spirit baptized him at that moment. And then he went out, and he did crazy miracles, stuff you've never seen. He said, you're going to do greater things than I have done. Why? Because the same Spirit that enabled me is going to enable you. So when Paul says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he's not just saying you can do all things through Jesus. He's saying you can all do all things through the anointed one who is in you. See, the same anointed one who accomplished all that stuff lives in me, and he lives in you. You are anointed. Say, I am anointed to accomplish my assignment. Say, just because I'm not visible doesn't mean I'm not valuable. And the one that I skipped, say, I don't need a new assignment to experience a greater anointing. Almost there, guys. I can do anything, anywhere, anytime through Christ who strengthens me. And here's what's so cool about that. God's assignment for you isn't the same as his assignment for me. God's assignment for each of us is unique. He's got something specific for you to accomplish. Dr. Pepper had a, an ad campaign a couple of years ago. Uh, and what they would do is they'd find these kind of obscure people, these artists, these people who are really good in their field, but it wasn't a field that was super visible. These weren't celebrities. Uh, and so they had this campaign. At the end of every commercial, they would do this. They'd put this uh, over one. And, and what they were saying, the statement they'd make in the ad is, I'm one out of one. What a cool statement. You are one out of one. Look at the person next to you say, you're one out of one. And I'm not trying to, like, preach Dr. Pepper. Uh, I'm not drinking Dr. Pepper for the next three weeks on the Daniel Fast, so send that aside. Uh, but, but what I am saying is I believe that that is such a biblical truth. You're one out of one. You don't have to be like the person next to you. You don't have to be like King David. You don't have to be like Pastor Troy. You just got to be you. You got to walk out your assignment. Got to walk out your responsibility. Got to walk out your anointing. That brings us to our last affirmation today. 
my last declaration, and that's this. I have nothing to prove and only one to please. See, once you're anointed by God, you realize you got nothing to prove. Here's the great thing about the anointing. The anointing of God is God's pre-approval. See, David got God's pre-approval. David was chosen as king. He didn't become king for 40 years. But for 40 years, he had that in his hip pocket. He could carry that everywhere he goes. That, you know what? Saul may be trying to kill you. God's people may have turned against you. Your friends may have betrayed you. Your wife may have mocked you publicly. But it doesn't matter because you've got nothing to prove and only one to please because God has chosen you. Why was David such a good king? Because he knew he was approved by God. He didn't have to go out there and win the approval of people. He didn't have to go out there and prove something to everybody. He had nothing to prove and simply one to please. And when you realize that you are anointed to accomplish your assignments, what you're going to discover is you've only got one to please and nothing to prove. God's pre-approved of you. You're not earning his favor. You're not earning his blessing. You're not earning his anointing. You've already got his anointing. I really believe that's why David was so good as a king. That's why he was the greatest king there was. He made some big mistakes, don't get me wrong, but he always came back to God because he knew he had nothing to prove and only one to please. And so he came to the one that he needed to please. And guess what? You got one to please. That's not your mother-in-law. It's not the person sitting next to you. It's not your pastor. You don't exist to please me. You don't exist to please your kid. You don't exist to please your spouse. You got one to please, and that's simply God Almighty. You're one of one. You're a limited edition. If, no, if you don't accomplish your assignment, nobody will. God's assignment for you is unique, and it's important, and it matters. See, seven sons passed by Samuel. Seven times. One, two, three, four, five, six. Seven sons walked by. Seven in Scripture is a significant number. It means the number of completion, the number of perfection. Eight is also a significant number. Finally, they brought out son number eight. As the worship team comes down, don't get distracted. We're almost there. Stick with me. The eighth son comes down. David comes down. You know what eight means in Scripture? Eight is the number of new beginnings. Here's what I want to declare over your life today, if you'll receive it, that this is a day of new beginnings, that God has a fresh anointing for you today, that God has a fresh anointing for our church today, that we're going to leave 2015, whether it was a good year or a bad year, man, for us, it was an awesome year as a church, but we're leaving 2015 and 2015, and we're stepping into 2016. We're stepping into a fresh anointing. We're stepping into a new thing that God wants to do, and that may mean the same assignment. We're not changing our vision. We're still reaching our city by reaching one, but I think we can reach our city by reaching one better in 2016 than we did in 2015. Because we're going to walk in a greater anointing. Amen? Amen. God, if God has spoken to you today, if you want to receive his greater anointing today, what I'm going to ask you to do is just stand up.